Well, our text is Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. And we're going to look at the first saying from the cross. I'm going to do a series of seven sermons that will take us right into Easter. Of course, we'll have a break next week from this, and we'll have a break during the missions conference from this. But uh, Lord willing, we'll just lead right into uh, Easter with a different sermon each week of one of the sayings or utterances of Jesus Christ from the cross as he was paying the penalty for our sin. Okay, so if you're in there, Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help us to rightly divide your word at this time. Speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. To speak it as it is to men as they are. And again, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice this day who is without Jesus Christ, may this be the time they come to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. And we would ask this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Now, as we begin this series, I hope that if you are saved through this series, it'll help you just to, excuse me, to know the person of our Lord and to love our Savior all the more. If you're not sure if you died today, that heaven is your home. I'll hope that you'll listen over these next uh, few messages to get to know the person who was on that cross paying our penalty, your penalty, and my penalty. A penalty that we could not pay ourselves and overcome. Oh, we could pay the penalty. We could die in our sin but we'd go to hell and never conquer it. He conquered hell and death. Therefore, he has the keys of death and hell. So I hope that you'll pay close attention to that. We need to be aware that these utterances that Jesus Christ make is when he has full uh, capacity of all of his faculties. So often today when people are dying, we don't, put as much emphasis on last words because they are so filled with various types of uh, pain and other deadening things to be able to not really say what they want to say or really even to think straight at that point. And so that's always hard to do. But, but uh, in years gone by, there was a lot set by on people stating their last words. As they would lead this life. Facing death. Our Lord. Had full capacity. And he laid out words for us. And yet while he was laying out those words of compassion. He knew that his human spirit was going to feel. The almighty outpoured wrath. Of God and his almightiness. Upon his human spirit. For you and me. He's at death's door and he knows it. It's interesting to hear some of the things that 
uh, people have said in, in the past when they wouldn't be so much controlled by those pain-relieving things and, and that would deaden their conscience and mind. And I have some things that I have copied here. There's so many things to copy of people in their last words. But I thought I would share these with you. This is from people that are, were unsaved. The infidel, Voltaire, spent his life fighting Christianity. He wanted to eliminate Christianity. It ended up he died. His house was sold. A, a Bible publishing firm bought it out. And they sold Bibles from the very house of the one who was that man who was uh, fighting Christianity an infidel. But he said, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Sir Thomas Scott, who was Chancellor of England, he said, until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor hell. Now I know and feel there are both, and I am doomed to perdition of just judgment of the Almighty. Maribot, a French statesman, said, Give me more laudatum that I may not think of eternity. Oh, Christ! Oh, Jesus Christ! His last words. This final one, as I said, there were many more, but this is the final one of a person who dies without Christ. It was Sir Francis Newport. He says, oh, that I was to lie a thousand years upon the fire that is never quenched, to purchase the favor of God and be united to him. But it's fruitless, a fruitless wish. Millions and millions of years could bring me no nearer to the end of my torments than one poor hour. Oh, eternity, oh, eternity, forever and forever. Oh, the insufferable pangs of hell. Last words of men without Christ when they had their faculties. Here's some words of those some saved people. John A. Lyth, can this be death? Why, it's better than living. Tell them I die happy. The last word. Dwight L. Moody, this is glorious. Earth receding, heaven opening, God calling me. Man by the name of Abbott, glory to God, I see heaven sweetly open before me. The last words they heard from him. Margaret Pryor, eternity rolls before me like a sea of glory. That's confidence in the salvation of Christ Jesus. One last one here. A lady by the name of Mary Francis. Oh, that I could tell you what joy I possess. The Lord doth shine with such power upon my soul. He has come. He has come. And that's the way she died. Yes, those are important words, instructive words. But perhaps the most important words for us to hear are those 
statements that Jesus made from Calvary. His seven last utterances or seven last statements from the cross as he was there to pay the penalty for all sin for all time. But as we go over these things, I want you to see his person, his very person in these statements. Because that's going to be very important to see the person of Jesus Christ. When we mention death, our death. What comments would they record of us if we were not under the influence of the drugs that we have today? If we had full control of our faculties, what would they hear? I think of Jesus Christ and his life on earth that was leading up to the cross. He had lived a perfect life. He went about doing good for others. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He fed multitudes. He comforted. He gave hope. He taught men about God and how to live acceptably. Yet man hates him. They conspire against him. And they deliver him to be crucified. And in doing all of that, How does he react to it? How does he react when he's been delivered to be crucified? After he's done all these good things, all these great works, while just a few days earlier, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And and so having raised Lazarus from the dead, then all of a sudden, the religion, the soldier, The people are bringing him in to face a mock trial in which he will be put to death. And his reaction? Father, forgive them. He prays for those who despitefully and shamefully use and abuse him. They deliver him up to be crucified. The soldiers beat him. They take a whip and they lay 39 lashes upon his body. That whip having nine leather strands going off of it with bits of bone, metal, and ivory. So that when they go across his body and then they'd pull it back, it would rip the shreds, his skin. There are many victims that actually died at the whipping post. But he doesn't curse them. He does not cry for mercy. Instead, he says, Father, forgive them. I find that interesting because when you look up that term, Father, forgive them, it's in a Greek tense that has the idea that he prayed this over and over throughout this crucifixion. As man is inflicting the worst that man can do. Now understand the worst that man could do. Still did not pay the penalty for our sin. It was the outpoured of wrath of God upon his human spirit. Which was much worse than what you can see. Of that body hanging on a cross. I think of the soldier. 
driving the nails into his hands and feet. Used to having those guys curse them while the soldier would laugh at them. But instead he says, oh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you imagine the shock? I believe that one of the reasons the Roman soldier, when he said he was going to give up the ghost at the end, and he gave up the ghost into thy hands, I commend my spirit, and he died at that moment. And the Roman soldier that was standing beside him said, truly, this was the Son of God. In witnessing all of these Terrible deaths on the cross. That Roman soldier had never seen anything like that. I believe one day when we get to heaven, that guy might have gotten saved. When they take the cross and they put it into the hole, and usually they just let it slide in the hole and it would jump up like that. And as a result of that, it would many times yank the bones out of joint. And in Psalms 22, it says, I see all my bones. And although he has the dislocated bones of his body, none of them are broken, but they are very painful. And his reaction is, Father, forgive them. When they spat upon him, when they mock him, they strip him naked, they, they, they make fun of him. And he says, Father, forgive them. Soldiers are gambling over his clothes. And he says, Father, forgive them. They put vinegar up to his mouth to drink. And he says, Father, forgive them. Jesus on the cross taught us one of the lessons that's the hardest to learn in this life. And that is rising above the circumstances. His hands can no longer minister to the sick. His hands can no longer feed the multitudes. His feet cannot now run to give grace. He cannot instruct his disciples because they have forsaken him and fled. Yet, there's a thief beside him. And as he stands by that thief on that cross, that thief says, remember me when you enter to your kingdom. That thief was convinced. And he says, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And he saves his soul in the great hour of physical suffering. Poured out, man poured out the worst and cursing him. He found, finds grace to save a soul on the cross. A thief. And yet during all of that, keep it in the back of your mind. He could have called 12 legions of angels. But we also know this. 
He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Yes, He could have called twelve legions of angels, but He could have just spoken the Word. He spoke the worlds into existence. He could have just spoken the Word. But He doesn't. He resists that temptation which any of us facing what he was faced would do everything that we could in our power to escape. But he resists the temptation that he might pay the penalty for our sin. Do you realize had he come down, it would not have been sin for him to come down. He had every just and right cause to come down. But his love kept him on the cross. My penalty was paid. But he does what he can do for all when his hands can't any longer work, when his feet can no longer run. He does something that he can do when he's totally disabled. And what is that? He prays. Father, forgive them. You may be elderly today or you may be in some way very physically restricted. Maybe other things of pain and illness are filling your life you're bodily restricted and you're discouraged perhaps the Lord has taken from you the chance to be involved in ministry physically that you might perform the greatest ministry you've ever had in your entire lifetime even though it may be near the end of your lifetime the ministry of prayer The ministry of prayer. This preacher needs it. Fellow laborers need it. Revival depends upon it in America. That idea of praying, we need it. And you know what? Either laid up in a bed. Or just being able to roll over and get on your knees by bed or sofa. One person on their knees praying in the power of God's Spirit may get much more accomplished than a hundred preachers on their feet. Oh, the tragedy and the travesty of ministry of a powerless church powerless because it's prayerless notice he says father he's been forsaken by friends 
One denies him. Another one betrays him. They all run and he's taken in and he's beaten very badly. And if that's not enough, his father in heaven. Oh, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And finally, at the end of 40 days and Satan tempting him, God, his father, in his grace, sends angels to minister to his human spirit. He's a day there in, in, in Gethsemane, and, and he knows that in just a few short hours, he's going to be taken to be crucified. He's fearing not so much the pain of the physical punishment as he is the outpoured wrath on his human spirit of almightiness. And he says, on his knees, his friends, his disciples sleep. He sweat huge drops. The Bible says, as it were blood. And he's doing that for us. Fully forsaken, not only by man, but now the Father will not give him any grace. No grace whatever is there for the humanity of Jesus Christ. Because if grace is given to his humanity, our sin is not fully paid. And so when Jesus Christ cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the humanity of Jesus Christ. The reason he had those huge drops of sweat coming out of his body. The reason that happened is the fact that he knows that when this poured out wrath of almightiness is upon his human spirit, there'll be no grace to restrain. There'll be no grace to soften it. When he said, it is finished. That meant my sin and your sin was fully paid. That was the person of Jesus Christ. He says, Father, Father, forgive them. I always wonder what is the thoughts of the Father in heaven when it's His only begotten Son. He that was His Son throughout eternity past, who took on flesh 2,000 years ago. But isn't it interesting, Isaiah 53 tells us that it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Because when He saw your sin and my sin upon Jesus Christ... The Bible says he became sin for us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. He said, Father, forgive them. But he just wasn't talking about the people there. He was talking about us. I remember Gary Llewellyn used to always sing here for us from time to time. 
When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You know how true that is? But the way that I was on his mind, it was my sin. And his love would make sure that he paid it in full. We get in binds and often uh, the, the binds that we get in is of our own making, our own doing. And we cry out to God for help because we cannot help ourselves at all. And we get his help. But if he's going to pay the price for our sin, there's no help for Jesus. Why does God do this? Why does Jesus endure the cross for us? Why does he do it when he could call 12 legions of angels? Why? For God so loved the world is why. But God commendeth his love toward us. In the while we were yet sinners, just like we are in our very worst state, yet sinners. Christ died for us. There's nothing more profound than that thought. Christ died for us. Love kept him on that cross. Divine love that we ourselves have never exercised for another person as he exercised it for us. For me to even love somebody like that, he has to love through me. But because he did that, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Then in verse 34 of our text, then said Jesus, then. See, when he prayed, man was trying to do the very worst he could in crucifying the Lord of glory. He's Suffering unspeakable shame and excruciating pain. He is despised. He is rejected. He is denied. Even by a disciple. One of his own disciples denies him. He's betrayed fully by another and delivered for 30 pieces of silver. But he prayed for them. It is not about today, does God love you? He was paying your own personal debt for eternity, your penalty of eternity in the lake of fire. He was doing that based on his love. No, the question is not, does God love you? Because he does. The question is really, do you love God? He doesn't owe us a living, but he did it anyhow. We owe him a life. And he's so gracious because he deserves so much more than my life. But he accepts me in Christ Jesus. Peter, the one who denied him, 
I think God just wants to show us his grace by using Peter to write this. I mean, they were every word God's word. But because of Peter's denial, I think God just chose him especially to give him every word to write. And it's in 1 Peter 2, 22 through 24, speaking of the cross. It says, who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he, breathed, he, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who? His own self. Bear our sins. In his own body on the tree. That we... Being dead to sins, being dead to sins penalty now, being dead to sins consequences. We, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. We don't have the kind of love for others that he had. We should. But the problem is we don't have the love for him that we should have. He loved us. And that motive would help him to pay our sin debt. But don't forget, he was God come in the flesh. He is absolutely, totally holy. Totally holy. And he became sin. For us. My sin on the all holy offering for my sin. Jesus practiced what he preached. On a sunny mountainside, which those who have gone to Israel with me have been there. We refer to it as the Mount of the Beatitudes. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That command that he gave there is what he did on the cross for us. You've heard me say it before. I've said you can be saved and not a Christian. Because Christian means Christ-like. That's the example, Matthew 5, 44, of Christ's life. It isn't a philosophy. This is a living and true love. As he's there on a rock hill called the place of a skull that we call Calvary. Can you catch a glimpse of that one who's praying For you, for me, saying, oh, Father, forgive him. Forgive him. You see, his very prayer was for our greatest need. Forgiveness. And you know, it didn't stop there. The Bible says he's ascended into heaven. And for we who have received him as our Lord and Savior... He still intercedes. He still prays for us. 
May I ask, what good is wealth, education, friends, and health if if sin stands between you and God, between you and eternity? You see, the purpose of the cross is seen after the resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He has them back together now. And as he talks to them, he gives them a great commission, we call it. And he says, and he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission The word remission means the idea of forgiveness. The repentance. We repent. Remission. He forgives. Because the price has already been paid. The blood for your sin is already there. You just need to receive it. The repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. In other words, he wanted everybody to hear. And who did he die for? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. The homosexual movement. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. We get all these letters now, LGBTQTZ, XYZ, you know. But in reality, abusers of themselves with mankind covers that. Those people can be saved. He goes on to say, thieves and covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, that is the party party and social drinking crowd, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, he says. Some of you, that, that, that describes you to a T. That, that's it, it exactly, that's what you were. He says, but ye are washed. How were they washed? Revelation 1, 5 and 6, in the blood of Jesus Christ. Though your sins be as scarlet, shall be made as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But you are sanctified. You're not only cleansed of your sin, you're sanctified. That is, you're set apart for God. But not only are you washed and sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Justified, you are accepted in Christ Jesus. My friend, can you see, knowing this, that if you died without Jesus Christ, you have no excuse? He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin and laughter, crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. We can't earn it. 
For by grace, that is the grace of God, for by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is not a work, it's a trust. A trusting with your life. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see what we have? For the wages of sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, what we've earned, what we deserve, what we have coming to us, for the wages of sin is death. That's final, complete separation forever from God in the lake of fire. One second after death, it's too late to get saved. For the wages of sin is death. We've earned it. But the gift, not a wage, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's provided it all. But like any gift, it must be received. So Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Not your righteousness. Not you believe so hard you become righteous. No. No. The heart man believes unto the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because it's in him I'm accepted into heaven. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My friend, put your name down there. I was able to do that one day. For if Andy Bloom would call upon the name of the Lord, Andy Bloom would be saved. And I did. Going to heaven, not because I'm a preacher. Going to heaven, not because I love my wife and I have a good family. Going to heaven, not because I'm an American. I'm going to heaven because this old sinner realized he's an old sinner and needed a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And my friend, he'll save you. If you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home, he'll save you. Won't you come to him? Let's bow our heads, please.